0: Hello all and welcome back to Two Sykes and Nikes, this is episode 2. On this week's show we discussed the time Larry went to London to be on a television show. He had acquired a Brit Award by Supergroup and Divider of Opinions Oasis and he was trying to sell it so he decided to go on a TV show to try and do it. And I will discuss the motivations of surf coaches. We fell in love with surfing recently and I was interested in knowing why the coaches are super motivated. So I conducted a study and it turned into my master's thesis and we talk a little bit about that. So I hope you enjoy the show. Well hello all and uh, welcome back for episode two of Two Sleeks and Nights. Nice. Uh, if, you're, if you're joining us after the first episode, of thanks Emil. Or if it's your first tune in, thanks thanks Emil as well. So um, I am Jody. And I'm Larry. Each week we, we pick a topic. Larry is a music memorabilia dealer and has been for a good few years. And he's had some really fascinating uh, pieces through his hands. And he's got some stories to tell. And then <coughs> um, I recently qualified for performance and sports psychology. So we, and and Larry is studying psychotherapy. So we kind of have an interest in that side of things. Um, and then we'll talk about general chit chat. But it'll be an easy going half an hour, um, especially during these times, keep you entertained and maybe maybe we'll share something that's that's of interest to you. So um, anything in the news this
1: week, Laird, that you've spotted? I wow, heard well, Trump mentioned that, like, getting back to normal in April sounds like a, a lovely timeline. So I kind of thought, like, that's a bit unrealistic, you know?
0: Very fast, yeah. It, it but can just, we truly go by what that chap... Says I, I, and I'm not. I am. It probably sounds belittling, but um, he's got one goal in mind, and that you know, it's a very, it's that toxic masculinity that we that we that we all know. Um, so do we trust him?
1: No, I wouldn't trust what he says. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust what he says.
0: Yeah. Just I saw a good news story. Was uh, you might have seen it yourself. Erlingus now again we've no affiliates we don't like on this show we don't we're not getting any money from that but Aer Lingus over the years I probably would have been um when I was a youngster I loved Aer Lingus I loved the colors I loved that they meant flying Ireland and all this stuff but then over the years obviously airlines have changed the model is not as glamorous maybe as it once was some some long haul is but uh I kind of fell out with Aer Lingus a little bit as a, personally, as a customer. They, they charged extra and, and there was a few little qualms I had. And I didn't feel you were getting the value that they were promoting. I, I There was a little misalignment. But having said that, what they've but they've come out and said this week that they will fly planes to China to pick up supplies. I mean pilots have stepped forward, they've puffed planes for. It's just a lovely feel good story, and there is a lot of that coming out in this time, which if you can if you can hook you back on those rather than the the kind of the few the few bad stories you hear about people or about kind of groups it's, it's some good stuff out there, isn't it
1: Ah uh, yeah, there is There's some really good stories. Did like you hear that them. story really? I didn't. No, I just cu- I caught the headline, but I didn't actually read the the actual uh, story. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was wondering what it was about.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. Like that's that's class. Yeah, because China is the. It's not our neighbour. It's a good old flight away, and they said they're going to do it on multiple occasions. I mean, like the furthest flight Aer Lingus is probably Dublin San Francisco. That's the that's the longest flight they operate, I think. So uh, this would be this is a monster to Beijing, I think it was. So. Um, yeah, fair play to them. But uh, that was that was my little wanna, of the week.
1: Why are do they doing picking up supplies?
0: Yeah, they're going to be picking up um, masks, ventilators, um, whatever is whatever that whatever they have, uh we're going to get it. And it's oh. going to like I think it's going to be over the next few weeks. They're going to be going back and forth. Like it's, it's magic.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Like
0: okay, does poli- obviously in this time you can't be saying fly away because you know you'll be. Uh, I think if you live a balanced life, uh, I fly a little bit but we've only had one car for years. And, you know, we're we're conscious of other things. So I still think if you need to fly, you need to fly. If that's part of your life. Are you
1: talking about what, like, emissions? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because you'll
0: have two people, you'll have you'll have two sides of it probably coming out and saying, it's great that they're flying, but Jesus, you know, 50, 60 flights to China, do you know what that's going to do? But at the same time, like, you got to weigh it up.
1: Well, I did think, like...
0: It's not a coincidence
1: that there's a lot of fuel in the earth. Like it's not just there to be left and not used. It's there to be used, in my
0: opinion. Wow! Well, um, well, This is going to get some bits controversial.
1: It's stored energy. It's stored energy. That's way it. That it's energy from the sun yeah. and from the fossil fuels that have uh, been processed over the billions of years uh, yeah. in the earth, and it's it's a fuel source. Like, it seems like it's there to be used. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean like we just use it without any consideration.
0: Yeah. I know we're, we're probably getting a bit sidetracked there because we were just picking up Aer Lingus. But uh, I, I don't want to get into alternative fuels because... Um, <laughs> it's not what we were talking about. Oh, and like, I want to ask you this. We, we've got some fascinating... Uh, did you want to say something else? No, I did, did it look like I was going to say something Yeah, else? you did. You took and an I inhale looked- and your mouth opened. You know, just that, 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 that. Yeah. Okay. So you might have been just gulping for air so uh, uh, yeah I want to ask you right this week we we, you you mentioned to me so what happens on the show Uh we might just give each other a tip of what we're going to talk about but we actually we never rehearse so we don't really there's there's no questions uh, discussed just to keep it fresh and like we're learning as well so Larry said he was going to talk about a Brit award that he had uh, a while back I I don't know anything about it I I know maybe Oasis Mm -hmm. are involved which is is, usually brought controversy but go on anyway Yeah, I was
1: saying today that I could chat about the Brit Award that I bought a good few years ago. This was an award that was given to Oasis for uh, Album of the Year. What's the
0: story, and Glory? Mid-90s, was it? 96? Uh,
1: 1995. Right. 1995, I think. Uh, yeah. That's when the album was released. Uh, I think that's when the Brit Awards were hosted as well. Possibly 1996, I have to check. Uh, I bought this Brit Award from uh, one of Oasis's record producers directly from him. I paid, I paid like top whack for it because I was, I've been a fan of Oasis since I was a teenager.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I was buying it just because of what it was. So, and I knew that there probably wasn't going to be much money to be made from it. Yeah. So, so what I tried to do. Bearing that in mind, I was like, gosh, I, I'm paying the top whack here. I'm not going to make any money from this award. I, I asked him if he had any other stuff. And he said, yeah, I have some other awards, um, like platinum, gold and platinum awards.
0: Yeah.
1: So I got him to throw in like four other awards. It was like a package deal, was it? Boy yeah. won't get four free. It was a package deal, yeah. <laughs> so then I thought, well, I won't make any money probably off the Brit Award, but I'll make some money off these other, other ones. And that made me feel better about spending so much money on it. So anyhow, there was this program I used to watch. Uh, it's not on anymore. It was on Channel 4 called uh, Four rooms. And basically, the premise of the program was there was four dealers in four different realms. And you had people who would go on the show, uh, guests, and they'd bring on a piece of memorabilia or a painting or something valuable. And they'd choose which room, which dealer they wanted to go see first. And then they'd go into the dealer and the dealer would then, if the dealer was interested, they'd try and negotiate a price. And Was this for real? They would actually buy it yeah, off they, you if... Yeah, this was for real. It was real. Like they were real dealers offering real money. So basically, if you refused the offer that they gave you and you left the room, you couldn't go back in. Right. And then you go to the next dealer that you. It was wa- a bit of a
0: gamble. It was a bit of a gamble. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because yeah. you never, you didn't know. Uh, yeah, you just didn't know. So it was a bit risky. So then you go into the next dealer and you could strike a deal with them. And if you accept the offer, that's it. It's kind of like game over. Uh okay. the, the last two dealers wouldn't have got to see you you know, because he's yeah. done a deal with the second one. Yeah. So I used to watch this program every week and they had like, um, someone one time, one time someone brought on, they had a Banksy wall. Oh, well. Yeah. How do you bring that on? They wheeled it on. That's <laughs> right. Really? They had it in a frame and they wheeled, I think they wheeled it on. Right. Um. It was an actual wall, like, you know, um, would have been cut out. There's guys out there that do that, like they they cut out the wall. But if banksies put a painting up on the wall, they can cut it out. Uh, but
0: it costs a fortune to yeah. cut a piece of wall out, as you can imagine. And it's not really what it was designed. I'm sure it's not what the artist had in mind. I mean, it's it's put in yeah. certain places because that's part of the artwork, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, Possibly it's put on a wall to stop people from being able to take it.
0: That's very true, yeah. Yeah,
1: so anyhow, um yeah, they used to have some really interesting stuff come on the show. A Francis Bacon painting yeah. was done and the Fra- this, the Francis Bacon painting was bought at an auction, which I was aware of. And Francis Bacon, if he didn't like his art that he had painted, he'd he'd cu- he'd get a knife and he'd cut out the main piece of the canvas. So there was this auction held and uh the auction had like all the bits that he kind of threw away. Somebody who was meant to throw them away kept them mm. and sold them at this auction. This was the one of the people who bought one of the pieces in the auction brought it onto the four room show. And it yeah. was basically a piece of art but with the centre bit. I think it had it. it was all slashed. But like I think that's
0: cool, you know, because it's um you know, it's just interesting. As you're talking about this, I read recently a Banksy, a recent Banksy, it was at auction. I don't know if you heard about this, and somebody bid a fair a fair bit of money. And when the bid was won, it set itself on fire or something like that. So right. the, the the handover had been done. Did you hear about this? And yeah, it actually yeah. destroyed yeah. itself. Uh, yeah, I think that it, yeah. It's just to show I love the way certain people show like the fragility and the kind of foolishness of it all as well. There's kind of a madness to it. like Yeah, yeah and actually that piece
1: uh, is shredded. <laughs>
0: That's what it was. It's shredded,
1: yeah. It was on the wall, on the wall in the background in the auction. <laughs> and as they put down the hammer, and when, you, when the hammer goes down, it's a contract between the auction house and the buyer. And yeah. then you could hear this noise in the background and the
0: print was coming out of the bottom of the frame, shredded. That is deadly. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. Sorry, go back to the Brit Award because we're, you know, we'll be, we'd be know. two hours on this podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyhow, I, I thought to myself, you know what? I, uh, I wanted to sell the Brit Award and I, I liked that show. So I thought it'd be cool to go on the show. If I don't sell the award on it, no big deal. Like I just kind of wanted to get on the show. Fair play to you. It was my favourite show, so I got in touch with them and I got on the show fairly handy because of the item the product. Night. So I went on the show and I had a um, had a plan. Usually people leave the best dealer to last. Yeah. But I thought to myself because i not wasn't used to being on TV. I didn't want to uh, go to the best dealer last and have to see three other dealers first. probably get me confidence knocked a bit as it chipped away as it went along. Until <laughs> I went into the last dealer, and I was like, willing to take <laughs> <laughs> Willing to take anything. Yeah. I was standing with the presenter of the show. The Brit Award was in the middle of the room and I had the four dealers standing in front of me. They all kind of asked me questions while they were together. But one of them said to me like th- that he was really interested in it. And I knew he was, he was being truthful. So I decided that I'm just going to go into him first. He's the one mm. who I'm going to do a deal with. So I went in, we sat down and I negotiated the price and I, I sold it to him. What did I sell it for? I think I sold it for six grand, five or six grand. And we did a deal. Um. So that was that. But I, what what's interesting about it, the show was kind of over and I, I was kind of walking behind the st- in the studio. I bumped into him. Yeah. And we started chatting. This was this shoot was taking place in London in Channel Four Studios. Yeah. And I ran, I had a car with me and I was doing some business over there. I was trying to make the most of the trip. Yeah. So I had did a deal uh with a guy for a Paul McCartney left-handed Hoffner bass guitar. Okay. That Paul McCartney had used. And it's quite a big deal. Like and so I bumped into the dealer who had bought the Brit Award in this like so I'm in the studio, I bump into this guy behind the scenes and he's like, oh, thanks for selling me the award and all that, no problem. And I said, actually, I said, I have something very interesting in my car, if you'd like to come and have a look. And he's like, no, no, I I've bought all the things I want to buy today. So I, I, it's okay, thanks. And I, I was thinking, like, I don't want to sell him anything. I just thought he'd be interested to see this interesting yeah. object. But he wasn't interested at all. But that guitar that I bought, I shipped it to New York. And it went into an auction in Times Square, New York, in the Hard Rock Cafe. And it sold for $150,000. Wow. Yeah. And the reason that I'm mentioning that is because the guy, refu- the guy didn't want to look even though I hadn't even told him what I had. He didn't know. He just said no. I've had that happen a few times where people weren't willing to look at something. It's just like,
0: it's always worth checking something out, like Is, is that part of our psychology though? You know when you walk into a shop sometimes and they're like, How's it going? Can I help you? Or you know, no, it's it's all right. And you nearly leave because you feel a bit you feel like your space is kind of like I don't have time for that or something, although it might be something actually that would work for you. But yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We have this thing of like, hey yeah.
1: you, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there might have been a bit of that.
0: That's brilliant. And and that bass guitar. Would you have? Would you have done a deal with him at the back of, at the boot of the car if he had been interested? Oh,
1: it's very. You no, know, I just I just kind of wanted to show him as a dealer to dealer kind of. Here, look what I'm after, boy, It I was a bit. Yeah. I was a bit yeah. excited.
0: Now, can I ask you just about the Brit Award? Was that one of the ones where? Because Oasis and Blur, the whole mid nineties thing that we grew up around. Um, I was never really into either of them. Uh. I like a pal of mine was mad into them and still is into Oasis. Um, And I probably grew to like them as I got a bit older, both bands actually. Um, And even now I would probably listen to them more than I would have. I was into like techno and kind of dance music in the mid nineties. But um, was it one of the ones where there was that whole kind of conflict Lord Oasis thing going on? Yeah, it was actually. um,
1: I think when they were present, when they were given the award, Liam Gallagher took the award and bent over and was kind of mimicking to sh-
0: shoving the award up his. <laughs> no, okay, right? It just yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. they were they used to sing the lyrics of uh, Blur and all. They really were winding them up. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. They said something about Blur. I think when they accepted the award. Yeah.
0: yeah, they wouldn't miss an opportunity. I mean, love them or hate them, Oasis. You couldn't ignore them, and like still, like. Liam, actually, like uh, when I was younger, I just thought this guy's a wally, but um, I've grown to really like him. I think, I I think both the boys, they're talented and they they they, they like have great personality and like they live as they want to live is, is is how it looks. But yeah. I see Liam is trying to get a bit of a gig together with the band and get Noah back just for for charity this week. On Twitter, he's all over. But you know, you see documentaries now with the with them, and they have their own way. But now I've grown to appreciate that all over my life, rather than see it as they just showman or whatever. It was it was brilliant, and you couldn't ignore them. I'm sure, you couldn't. No,
1: they're still in the they're still constantly in the newspapers. Like the sibling rivalry thing is going on for like twenty five years.
0: Yeah, they were they were one of them. Super groups like in the vein of like U two or these people yeah. that fill out stadiums and have followings yeah. that will will follow them to the ends of the earth. Like no, not but, there.
1: You said Joe, you going back to the Brit Award? The dealer who bought it as much he he wanted to own it, but I, he also wanted to sell it on. Yeah. Kind of like the way I did. I bought it because I wanted to have it, but I, I sold it on. Yeah. Sometimes that's a thing where. You want to own something, but then also you're willing to let it go. And he consigned it to an auction with Christie's Auction House. And uh, so I was very obviously very interested to see how much it was going to sell for. In the back yeah. of my mind, I'm hoping, I hope that doesn't fucking sell for um, like 20 grand, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it, it literally, he didn't make any money off it after commission because what had happened was I paid so much for it at the start. Nobody will ever really make any money off it because the only person who made money off it was the first guy who sold yeah. it. Yeah. And after that, it's it's just people buying it really to own it. And then they sell it on and, and they never really make any profit. It's there's, Sometimes you'll get things like that. You never make a profit on it like
0: If you buy with emotion, it's usually with that. It's like a house or a car, and if you buy because because you're emotionally attached to it, it's usually not the best financial idea. Yeah. Now, come here. Are they made of plastic or were they metal? Like how how heavy are they? Because they look plasticky. Like no, they're made the proper metal, like uh, awards. Yeah. And they used to. like, I think they were always the same look about them. But then I think in the last few years, they've started to get different designers in to, to make yeah. them mad look. And they've, they've really changed the look of them. But for 20-odd for years, they were the same look, I think.
1: Yeah, no, uh, recently they've got different artists and designers to, to design them, which is
0: pretty cool, you know. Did you ever go to a Brit Awards or anything? No? Uh,
1: no, 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 the answer would be no. I, I was thinking of going over the years, but I never did. Okay. I have gone to the Grammy Awards, though. So.
0: The Grammys, where yeah.
1: where would they be on are they, uh uh Los Angeles. And yeah. are they in like a bit? Are they in a big indoor stadium or like where are they in? It's in the in the sports arena. It's not the Staples Center, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah Staples Center. That's what it's called. Do you know who, When I was over there, I seen Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane was playing.
0: Going. He was playing for Galaxy, probably. Was he? Then? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I was gonna try call him, say, "Hey, Robbie, Robbie, come on
0: over." Robbie went, "Talit, tell Talit, tell like come <laughs> on, you know, yeah. you're from Tally, you're from Tally. I remember I remember queuing at the Playhouse, um, the, like one of the, one of the popular night spots in, in Tallaght, and Robbie Keane, at the height of his powers, um, I think he was able to just go up past the queue and slip in, you know. Yeah. And when you're younger, it's like, oh, hold on a minute, we might not even get in, and Robbie Keane can just walk up and in, what's it, you know, who is he? But, like, well, yeah, he's a, he's a nice fella, he seems to work work hard. Yeah, yeah, he seems
1: like a nice nice guy, just a nice guy, like, Jed, we bumped into Jedward there as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Were you talking to them? No, I didn't. I didn't. No, hey. I nothing to say to them.
0: They were hot stuff for a few years. I wonder what the two yeah. lads are doing now. I mean, yeah. mm. the little thing I wanted to talk about was my, as you know, I finished my master's there. And um, When was it? Ah, a couple of months ago. A sideline. I found it very hard to come up with a topic that was going to, keep me I was conscious to not just pick something a lot of people like the other people in the class were saying look if you don't come up with something like don't dwell on it you're under time constraint just kind of go with something you know and I just don't really learn like that that's not just the way I do things so I was debating and this went on for weeks and months and I was back and forth to the tutor and I just couldn't really, everything was just kind of not, everything I went to, it was, you know, my tutor was like, they're, they're not quite right for what you were doing. They're maybe more for a PhD or whatever. Or they're going to be too much work for you to get done in the six months. I, I just, uh, what we did was we hit the road. We we bought an old camper and we hit the road and went through Europe for a few months. And when we got to Portugal, um, you, as you know, we got to Portugal and we said we'd try surfing and never surfed before, never in a wetsuit or anything. And, um, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where it's just kind of a bit magic and immediately I realized geez, the coaches are, they seem to be really motivated. Like I wonder, do they make, do they make very good money or what's the story? So this, this was the first time I kind of went, oh, maybe I'm on, maybe this is it. Now I was still, I was months behind and I had to push it back. Uh, I didn't. I didn't graduate with my class because I was so late to the party with coming up with the topic and all. But anyway, mm-hmm. that was how I kind of discovered this. This could be something. So uh, what I wanted to know was uh, motivation. I mean, it's probably I don't in psychotherapy. Would you? Would that be a, an area that you'd look at a lot? Motivation or
1: motivation? Um, no, not not so much. Not so much.
0: Not in the, the
1: way that you're probably going to be talking about it now.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It oh was, well actually no, now that I think about it, yeah there would would be um
0: Like why we do stuff I suppose I'm sure
1: do, like it could be the thing of like um my motivation, in my personal life is I'm motivated to please others or to please myself.
0: Okay. That kind okay. of thing.
1: So there might be similarities there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to know a lot of motivational studies in sports psychology and performance psychology are to do with the athlete or to do with the team or to do with, with the relationship between coach and athlete. What I kind of wanted to find out was the coach side of things. Like why do they want to be a coach? Why do they, why did they become a coach? Why do they stay as a coach? Because it's quite demanding. Like you're going out into the sea two, three times a day for like two hours. You could be six hours in the ocean and it's freezing. Like the Portuguese water is not, is not, is not tropical. And the the waves are smashing you. They've, they've got the hooded wetsuits and all this, you know, and it's physical. You're you're like, they physically hold beginners and then push them into the wave. So, I mean, it's, it's a strain on the body and and a lot of them are doing it into their fifties and sixties. They're not, you know, there's 20 year olds doing it and there's 60 year olds doing it. So I was intrigued by this because you meet all different levels. Like you see the enthusiasm of the younger and then like the kind of and um, as they get older you can see they're a bit more wise and calm and slow but they're still they still love it and I was, I, I was like what is going on here so that's what I decided to work on did interviews and um, with some coaches over a period from the van so I was in the camper and I was get I hadn't really got internet access so I had to go like to wherever if we were on the site I had to use the internet access today what I had it was it wasn't. I didn't set myself up for an easy journey with it, like. But it was. It was just the way I did it. So, uh, yeah. I and I transcribed these, and and we. So when we did the data analysis, like what was really telling was, uh, especially. I think this is important for the times we're in at the moment. Really? So intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, like uh, intrinsic, is you do something because you just love it, you enjoy it. Probably like we're doing here, right? This, like, we're not doing this to make money. Or to be famous, or I don't like. I don't think we're doing it for any of those reasons. It's more so because we enjoy it, and it's it's. I love getting ready for it. I love doing it, um, and I do it even if there was ten people to tune in or a million people. To. So, what I found was with the coaches, it was overwhelming. Like I'm talking, and I grilled them. Like I asked them about financial reward, or, or was it good for fame, or was it, were you were you were you kind of known around the town or whatever? And like the data just showed that it was it was fully intrinsic. They loved surfing, they loved the ocean, yeah. they loved sharing that knowledge, mm-hmm. they loved meeting people, they loved when the people got out of the water and were happy. Like yeah. it was it was amazing. And this was across the board, across all age groups. And mm-hmm. so I just found that so interesting, that it was so one-sided. I thought it would get like initially I kind of hypothesized that maybe half he would do it for. The money and like yeah it's cool you know like you think ski instructors are something a lot of people might do because it's kind of a
1: lifestyle thing
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. And, and and everybody thinks that surfing is a lifestyle and it is but i thought they would say more of those things but it was all all those positives and what they say about intrinsic motivation is that you'll you will stay with stuff longer if it's obviously you know because if you if you're ex if you're extrinsically motivated you're going to be looking at Jesus, like, I'm not improving, or look at me compared to your man over there, or, um, uh, like, I didn't even make the semis of that competition, yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm rubbish. So the problem is, like, that's not under your control, kind of, whereas if you enjoy it. But it was just, I found it I found it fascinating, the the one-sidedness of the study. And actually, from someone that w- didn't know what to do, in the end, I found myself, like, couldn't wait to open the laptop and start typing a few paragraphs, because mm-hmm. it, it was... Like once you start crunching and you start looking at the data, it, it becomes alive, you know. And it became like I was kind of dreading it because I knew I'd be a bit isolated and it was going to be a big body of work something I'd never done before. But then at the end, I was really like happy to hand it in because I had really found out some important stuff, you know. And like people might people might take this like maybe maybe like schools or coaching or even even educators that educate coaches. Maybe they'll realise that more money might not improve the level of coaching or keep them uh, keep them going. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. might be something like uh, better equipment to keep them warm in the water, or uh, maybe more time off to rest. But mm. if, if you know what I mean, like it didn't feel like. Yeah. Not, um, yeah so I just found it fascinating. Like, have you?
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah, I do. Well, a couple of things came to mind. First of all, uh, your your colleagues in your class, or your other students, were kind of offering you a, a extrinsic options, and you were searching for an <laughs> intrinsic one, and you found it. That's where the excitement came from because the soror of was was like, "God, this is a. I think I found the thing I want to do my thesis on." Yeah. And that am I right in saying that that was like an intrinsic experience?
0: yeah maybe and I'm only linking that now. that's actually just I've never looked at it that way, but yeah, maybe I was looking for something more like that, like when I learn, I'm a bit slower to take in info, like some people can sit in the class for two hours, take in the information and then apply that information like and i'm no, I'm, still, still, I'm yeah. still filtering it, and sometimes I might have to not think about it for a few months. Yeah. I'm so slow to, like, to really... I think it needs to get into my fabric, which I'm, is...
1: Yeah, uh, I'm the same, Joe. I I only identified it there. Even actually listening back to the first episode we did, I, I could hear my voice. was. I talk slow sometimes. Yeah. I'm also aware that I can talk very fast and, you know... Uh, but sometimes I'm just slow at processing things. And uh, I'm not stupid or anything. Yeah. It's my process... But when the penny drops and I get it, then I'm like, then it's like completely solidified and I I, I, not, I believe in it, I I get it, or, you know, yeah. That's
0: probably, yeah, I'm probably similar. Like sometimes I'd re- I read a lot and, uh, you know, somebody could ask me at the end of the book, like, so like last week you said to me, like, tell me what that book, like uh, uh, one thing, and I'm like one thing, or even people might tell me, like, give me even a film, right, what was that film about? And I'm kind of, uh, you know what? It was like, I kind of almost, it's hard for me to verbalize the book, but I can feel what the book was about. It's it's, it's very strange. And then, but the problem with that is when you go into education and a a decent level of education, that kind of, uh, that doesn't get you a boy like that. I realized very quickly that like, a feeling or getting to a result and not saying how you got to the result, which is the way I lived prior to that. Like even I remember back in maths in school, I loved the geometry and stuff, but I could tell you the angle that was missing, yeah. but I didn't like to show you the multiple steps that I got there because mm-hmm. it was just, I don't know whether I didn't like it or I just found it. I just liked to do it. And and, and then, so this was the problem with doing this level of education. I, I You have to prove everything, every statement has to mean something. You can't be, you can't just say, I feel this, or I could sense this, or I could... It has to be
1: that way though, doesn't it? Because otherwise, everybody could just say anything. Of course. And like there's nothing to back it up and that's how it is nobody has to back anything up so of course no, uh, like, you know where parameters yeah
0: no it totally makes sense but it's still a shock when you're when you're oh, sitting yeah, in front of yeah. the, you know or yeah, no. when you're handing your first paper and she's like what are you talking about and I'm like this took me hours to write and she's like "You can't, the, all these sentences are opinion and I'm like oh, um, oh, all,
1: these, all these crayon drawings won't it uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: they were to give you a sense of what i was thinking like and the teachers like that doesn't do anything for me no. um, i remember i remember as well just I'm, I'm going off on one here but one of the first papers i decided to do on the course was why finland produces such high level uh, motor racing drivers right because per capita they just seem to produce like really high level and uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I-, I thought it was a brilliant subject but i was I couldn't bring it across the way I wanted it, and it didn't do very well. Like, I, you know, I just got through. Like the idea was brilliant, but I didn't have, looking back now, it was too big a title like to to do as an early paper because I was looking for stuff through the Finnish websites. I was looking through the Finnish yeah, government really. to see. It, it was massive. And I, I, you know, and now looking back, so I still love the topic, but maybe that's for another day, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're just getting back to your intrinsic and extrinsic. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Ryan Giggs did an interview a couple of years ago and he mentioned, you know, Ryan Giggs played for Manchester United and he, he kind of won, won the Premiership, X amount of times and lots of other uh, titles that United won. He was part of that team. But in this interview, he said that, he said, I never, I never enjoyed any of my time playing football. Yeah, so he basically said he never enjoyed he never enjoyed any of the any his career any of his career. Like he said, I'm was, surprised at that. Yeah, there's too much. Uh, that's a, that's a quote. Like that's exactly what he said. And he said um, he said it was just too much pressure all the time playing for United. Like you, you had to be like winning three uh, 0 all the time, like just to ensure that you were going to win the match. And he, he just had no he basically had no enjoyment. And I was just thinking when I read that interview, it always stuck with me over the years and I read it again this morning. I was thinking about the intrinsic and extrinsic and it sounded like he was heavily in the extrinsic and he, he, he didn't probably get the opportunity or somebody to help him connect with some intrinsic motivations. He could still play the exact same game or whatever and still win the league and still take part but get but get the enjoyment out of it.
0: Yeah, and I think looking on as a fan or as uh, like yeah, as a fan, and you, you see him week in and week out, and Giggs was a flamboyant dribbler, like and came across really, like, really well. And you know, he played a long time. So for him to say that, I think it's even a bigger shock when you hear that, because it looked like he looked he was the kind of player that had a bit of like pizzazz about him, and yeah. that's when you think, Jesus, he didn't even enjoy. I don't know why we as 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 the public we do associate well if he's playing with that flair surely he's enjoying it. But it doesn't work like that. Like.
1: No, no. Yeah, I was so when I read that article years ago I was really surprised. I mm. was like, Oh <laughs> you just don't expect someone like that in that position to say that. Um, yeah. so you never know.
0: No. No, oh, so um, I, what I thought I'd do this week is uh, I, I was I was flicking through a book. Um, it's Self-Observation um, by Red Hawk. I was reading it last night, actually. The Awakening of Conscience, an owner's manual. Heavy reading, heavy reading, but really nice little book. Look at the little size of it. like. But it takes you a while to get through it because you know in them books, you read a paragraph and you're like, well, hold on. I'm going to have to go back and read this again. It's so... It's so concise, right? So I just thought, uh, would it be all right? It's, it's, it's a very short, the prologue to it. I'm just going to read it to finish up the show. Would that be cool? Yeah, can, yeah. It's called The Teaching, and it's just a couple of lines. Stay with us, audience. Stay with us. I know it's deep. Stay with us. It is as old as the stones. It came with humans to the earth, and it offers them a way out of the web of sorrows, but at a price. We must observe ourselves, our behavior our inner and outer responses, objectively. This means without taking a personal interest or doing anything about the horror which self-observation uncovers. It's like a bad boy with a stick overturning a stone and finding a mass of crawling things beneath, but he refrains from stomping on them. And that's it. It's just a short little thing, but it's it's a powerful little book. I know, like, I'll read it again pretty soon. I'm just at the end of it. You could nearly open up any little page and, you know, one of them books that if you're feeling a bit miserable in the morning or you're you're kind of, you're at a bit of a, a loose end or your head spinning, open it up on any little thing and you're like, oh, hold on a minute. Like, it just has, it just, it's, it's so concise that any page opens class, you know?
1: Yeah. No, like sayings or parables or... No, like... Yeah. Uh, uh, can't see the wood for the trees. Sometimes yeah. those uh, things really hit the nail on the head, and people get the, they they know what you mean. Instead of having to explain it in a, in a few sentences. Yeah,
0: some are very good at that. Yeah. So um, so that's that's it for for episode two, as far as 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 I can see. Uh, anything you wanted to add? No, I think that's
1: that's everything. Yeah.
0: So we will be back. We're trying to do two a week, um, especially at the moment and to get a bit of a, a library if, if anyone's enjoying it. like, and We're trying to keep them to a certain time frame. Yeah, we'll be back next week with episode three. That will be... Look at that. We're, we only started to do this. We're, we'll be going to episode three. So we'll be on Apple Podcasts as soon as we're approved. Um, other than that, you can find us on Acast. And again... If anyone wants to talk about any of the issues raised or in these current times if anyone's struggling with mental health or um motivation as we were just talking about it, uh, I'll like you can email me at info at talk to the bishop or you can um private message me on Instagram at talk to the bishop, whatever. It's just don't be alone, don't be kinda don't go through this time without talking to someone or without just even sharing and um, that's all uh, I'm I'm happy with. So I would like to say thanks again for tuning in and um, share it, spread the word. Hopefully you're enjoying it and um, uh, uh, thanks a million and I'll see you next week.
1: Okay, take care.